0: morning. morning. It was enjoyable watching everyone come in this morning and enjoy already uh, the new foyer space even though it's unfinished. Uh, That almost created a problem though because some people seem to want to stay out there and not come in so it's a pass-through okay. It's not the meeting place. Um, It won't hold all of us but uh, it was great having to uh, getting to watch everyone come in and look around and say, this this is really neat, this is going to be good, this is going to be a blessing to us, and uh, I think it, it, we all know that it, that it will, and uh, it's really coming along, and we're very, very grateful for that. We're glad you're here this morning uh, to participate in our worship and uh, in our study of scripture as we continue our uh, brief series here on uh, the subject of marriage. Question for you, what do you think of all the things that Jesus ever said, is the most challenging thing that he ever said. Do you think it's when he said, love your enemies? Do you think it's when he said, love your neighbor as yourself? Do you think it's when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me? All of those are challenging in and of themselves And I have one to add to it. You heard the reading of it here just a moment ago. It's Matthew 6 and verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear, Jesus said. Don't even be anxious about life itself. That's a big, big challenge, isn't it? That's a tall order. It's one that we constantly find uh, difficult to live by consistently. And notice Jesus isn't saying that what we're going to eat and drink and wear are not important. They are important. They are important. Uh, He's saying even though they are important, still do not be anxious about them. But more important than all of those, he says, is the kingdom of God. So he says in Matthew 6 and verse 33, uh, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. They'll all be yours as well. Put the kingdom first, he says, and God will make sure that you have what you need. It's fairly simple, but it's still difficult. It's still challenging for us to live by. But it teaches us that in God's sight, living well, living successfully, is a matter of priorities. It's a matter of having first things in first place. And that's always a challenge for all of us, isn't it? To put first things in first place. It means that God and Christ and the Spirit and the church and scripture and all those things are not out on the periphery of our lives somewhere, but they're at the center and that everything else in life radiates out from those. Everything else about those about our lives is rooted in those. Everything else finds its place because it is anchored in God and is his kingdom. Now, when it comes to building a marriage, it's vitally important that we get our priorities in the right place, the right things, the first things in the first place. And if you're, uh, as in your marriage, just in the rest of life, the first thing has to be, of course, God. Psalms 127 verse 1 puts it very very succinctly, very clearly, very forcefully. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And the psalmist isn't talking about a construction project. He's talking about your life. He's talking about whatever you undertake in life, and that includes marriage. Unless the Lord builds that house, those who build it labor in in vain. We've talked about the fact that like building a house, building a marriage requires a plan. You have to know what it is you're trying to do. You have to know what it is you're trying to accomplish, and then it requires effort to see that plan brought to to fulfillment. Same thing is true of a marriage as it is of the building of a house, and so if we don't put God first, according to Psalms 127 and verse 1, in the building of our marriages, we don't put God first, then we're trying to build without a foundation, and that is a sure recipe for disaster. So many people do get married without a plan. They really don't think much beyond the ceremony or at least the honeymoon, and then they just sort of get married and say, let's see what happens, and that's a very unwise thing to do, and it's asking for trouble. But if both the husband and the wife put God first, and build a marriage on God, if both are doing that, the marriage cannot fail. And I'm going to say that again. The marriage cannot fail if both the husband and the wife are putting God first and seeking to build their, their family, their home, their marriage together on him. We've already seen that Scripture teaches us to love one another and to put each other's needs ahead of our own. And that the best relationships come from, from having the right priority. So here's the right priority according to what the Bible tells us. The right priority is to have God first and then to have your husband or your wife second and yourself third. That's the right priority. God first, your spouse second, yourself Third, that's exactly what scripture shows us and that's the way that God planned it and to do it any other way is not in keeping with that plan. Let me give you an example of that. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's a rather complicated chapter as Paul gives a lot of instructions relating to marriage. He talks about the role of sex in marriage and he talks about uh, whether or not divorce is okay and whether or not people should get married and uh, what Uh, Christians ought to do if they're married to a non-Christian and whether or not widows should marry and just all kinds of things all sorts of things and we typically sift through that chapter rather carefully as we ought to do to see exactly what Paul is getting at exactly what he's telling us but sometimes I'm afraid we overlook verse 35 and here's what Paul says in verse 35 I say this for your benefit not to lay any restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He says, I'm saying this not to add a bunch of rules to your life. I'm saying this not to complicate your life. I'm saying it for your benefit and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord because it is to your benefit when you give God your undivided devotion. That ought to be the goal of every one of us. Whether you're married or not, uh, Paul's goal is that our devotion to the Lord is undivided. In other words, that God is unquestionably in first place. So it is God first, husband or wife second, and yourself third. Well, we might ask this question, though. How will putting God first help my marriage? How will putting God first help my marriage be stronger? How will it strengthen me? How will it help our relationship? How will it help build a stronger relationship? home for Christ. Let me mention several things. One is that you will have guidance from Scripture that you will take with utmost seriousness. See, if God's not in first place, the guidance is there. It's in the Word. But if God's not in first place, you may not pay a lot of attention to it. You may not even know it's there. But when God is in first place, then you're going to know that it's there. You're going to know what it is, what it says, And you're going to take very seriously what it says and try to pattern your life and your marriage after it. Scripture contains a wealth of instruction about life and about marriage. So we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. We don't have to go out and make all the mistakes that have ever been made before and realize, well, that doesn't work. That's not a good idea. Uh, God is telling us ahead of time, that doesn't work. That's not a good idea. And we need to pay attention to those instructions. But the problem is people who don't put God first don't pay a lot of attention to those instructions. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Ephesians 5, 21 to 33, and how that teaches a love, submission, and service relationship. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Everyone's supposed to love and to serve one another. But that's not the way the world sees it, is it? That's not what we hear from the world. That's not what we see in the world. What we hear and see in the world is you need to be assertive. You need to be sure that your rights are not being stepped on. You need to be sure that you are uh, asserting yourself and that your spouse is not in any way taking advantage of you. You need to be protective of yourself to the point that some people even have contracts before they marry Uh, about uh, who belongs to what or what belongs to who and and all of those kinds of things, Uh, these various prenuptial agreements to guard money and all that kind of stuff. Someone well said uh, that asking your uh, prospective husband or wife to sign a prenuptial agreement is saying, I love you, but I love my stuff more, and I want to protect my stuff. So that's what the world says. The world does not say, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God's word says that. And unless we're paying attention to God's word, we will not understand that, and marital chaos will result. Let me give you another example. The book of Proverbs, over and over, warns against uh, the sin of adultery and its consequences. That can wreck your life, the wise man says. And not only can it wreck your life, it can wreck your marriage. You can wreck everything about your life. By contrast, if you look at Proverbs 5, verses 15 to 23, here's some of the things that you'll find the wise man saying. He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Now, you get that he's not talking about water rights here, right? You get that he's talking about being faithful to your spouse. Drink water from your own cistern and flowing water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Why should you be intoxicated with a foreign woman, a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So basically what he's saying is, you have a wife, enjoy the wife you have, don't go looking for somebody else's. Don't go after someone else. Enjoy the wife that you have. We wonder, well, that's ancient wisdom. That was written so long ago. Does it have any relevance for today? Of course it does. It's always had relevance because adultery has always been a temptation. It has always been a problem. It's even worse now. It's even worse now because of what one writer has called virtual adultery, virtual adultery. And I'm talking about Internet pornography here. That is a serious threat to a lot of marriages. Why? Because we're not paying attention to texts like Proverbs 5. We're not paying attention to that, and so we get involved in that kind of internet pornography, which really is not virtual adultery, folks. It's real adultery because Jesus said anyone who looks at a woman in order to lust after her has what? Committed adultery with her already in his heart. It is real. It may be virtual on the screen, but the adultery is real, and many, many people are guilty of it. Men and women become infatuated with on-screen lovers, and then they soon become dissatisfied with each other. And the marriage begins to erode because there is actually, there is another party involved in the marriage, multiple parties involved in the marriage. Had one young woman tell me one time whose husband was addicted to internet pornography, I just can't compete, I just can't compete. And the marriage did not last. One of the ways that putting God first in your life will help is you would not let that happen. You would not let yourself be lured into that. You would not let that wreck your marriage. You will pay attention to what God's word says about marriage and about how to live your life. The second way that it will help is that it will provide strength when trouble comes. And trouble will come. Those of us who occasionally do premarital counseling always tell uh, prospective couples, I know you want the perfect marriage. You really need to get over that <laughs> because none of them are perfect and you're always gonna have troubles. And even if you're madly in love with one another, there's gonna be difficulties in life. There are gonna be problems. There's gonna be illnesses. There's gonna be uh, financial strain. There's gonna be, you, know, you don't know what. There's no way to predict what there will be. But what is certain And if you build your life on God and you put him first, then you have strength to endure whatever comes. So often marriages fail simply because couples undergo financial struggles, perhaps the loss of a child or illness or whatever, and their own resources run dry and they have nowhere else to turn. They don't turn to God. And as a result, the marriage ends. But with God, the resources never run dry listen to Psalms 46 verses 1 to 3 God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam though the mountains tremble with its swelling isn't that an amazing statement God, he says, is our our help in times of trouble. So we're not going to be afraid if it looks like the whole world is coming apart. And sometimes it does look that way. Sometimes it feels that way. God is our our refuge and our strength, he says. So no matter what happens, we have him to hold on to. And we know that God will strengthen us. We know that God will shelter us. We know that God will help us to get through. And knowing that, allows our marriages to survive and to thrive. Another way that having God first will help your marriage is that it puts the husband and wife on the same page spiritually. They're not not working at cross purposes with one another, one of them trying to go God's way and the other one not, not necessarily opposing but just not going in the same direction, not on the same page as we put it today. It makes a world of difference when both Uh, the parties in the marriage, are committed to Christ and have the same goals, the same priorities, and the same standards. Both are living under the cross. And that doesn't mean, again, that there won't be problems, but there will be a common ground for resolving them because you have the same sense of priorities. You have the same set of priorities. You have the same commitments. You have the same convictions. We've already seen that most of the biblical texts that address the subject of marriage are addressed to Christians. They're addressed to couples where both people are following Christ, where both are trying to put God first in their lives and trying to live for Him. That is, in fact, the ideal. But even if you're the only one in your marriage who's trying to do that, God is gonna bless you for that, and your marriage is gonna be better for it, it's gonna be stronger for it. If even one in the marriage is putting God first. So don't get discouraged about that because God will help you and will bless you and it will make a world of difference in your marriage. Another way that putting God first in your marriage helps is that it provides a non-negotiable reason for commitment and for faithfulness. A non-negotiable reason for commitment and faithfulness. Remember the story in Genesis 39 about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. We've heard it so many times. We need to pay good attention to it. Joseph had been sold as a slave into Egypt. He eventually becomes the uh, chief steward over the household of Potiphar, uh, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, a very powerful, very influential man. And Potiphar's wife really takes a liking to Joseph because the Bible says he's really good-looking. And so she's really after him, and she begins to pursue him sexually, and he will not respond. Day after day, he refuses her. Day after day, he tells her no. Day after day, he turns her down. Why? Can't you just think how Joseph could have reasoned about this? He could have said, well, after all, she is Potiphar's wife. She is my superior, and I need to do what she tells me to. Or maybe I should go ahead because she'll create more trouble for me if I don't. She may have me thrown back in that prison that he had recently come out of. She doesn't do what he want, what she wants. He could have reasoned all kinds of things in his head, but he didn't. And the reason he didn't is because his life was focused on God. And what he said to Mrs. Potiphar in verse 9 of Genesis 39 was this, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. How can I do that? That would be a sin against God. He's He's not thinking about the other consequences. He says it wouldn't be right because it wouldn't be right in the eyes of God. And I'm not going to do it for that reason and that reason alone. You see, when God is first and we want to please him above everything, we don't let circumstances dictate what we're going to do. Most of our reasons for faithfulness and commitment that that people in the world tend to live by are circumstantial, and they are utilitarian. As long as it's working for me, I'll be committed to this relationship. You know, and that's what kind of is a chilling thing. You'll talk about people, and I'm not married, but we're living in a committed relationship. What does that look like? What does that look like? Committed for how long? Committed based on what? You see, when people get married, They're saying, based on God and what God's word says, we are committing ourselves to one another for life, period. Non-negotiable. But when you don't do that, when God isn't at the center, when you're not building your life on God, then everything is either utilitarian, as long as this works for me, or it's circumstantial. Well, as far as I know right now, but if circumstances change, then something else may need to change in the marriage. All of our reasons for faithfulness are either utilitarian or circumstantial, except for one. And that is the reason that we are building our life on God. And we want to do what God says is right. What people tend to go by, the utilitarian and the circumstantial, is a far cry from what's said in the traditional wedding ceremony, in sickness and in health, for rich or for poor, no matter what, in other words. It doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Commitment and faithfulness are still at the top of the list. When God is first, circumstances don't matter. What matters is what He wants, and we want what He wants, and we refuse to break our commitments that have been made in His name. So those are some of the ways that putting God first will strengthen your marriage. But let me give you a word of caution here. Don't think of God as a tool. Don't think of God as a tool for improving your marriage. You've got to get these in the right priorities, the right order here. Don't think of God as a tool because then you're putting yourself first. You're wanting to use God for your purposes. And what you really need to do is allow yourself to be used for God's purposes. And that, That's what makes the marriage strong. That's what makes the marriage what it needs to be. God first, your husband, your wife second, yourself third. How do you start putting God first if you've never done that? How do you do it? You do it first of all by being persuaded that Jesus Christ is in fact God's son and that he did in fact come to this earth and give his life as a sacrifice for your sins, the equal commitment, uh, conviction that you are a sinner and that you have no way of removing your sins other than through him and his blood. And when you're thoroughly convinced of that, then that leads to a desire to change, leads to a a dedication, a devotion to living life differently. It's what the Bible calls repentance. It means to turn around. It means to go in another direction needs to turn from going your way and start going God's way, putting him first. That leads you then to openly acknowledge who Jesus is, openly confess your need for him, and for the desire and the need to be baptized into him, to have all your sins washed away, and to be joined with him so that you can start building that relationship with him that allows you to live your life in the way that God would have you to do it. That leads then to a life devoted to God, a life that includes worship and study, prayer, serving God the rest of your life, and seeing the difference that God will make, the difference he'll make in your marriage, in your family, in your recreation, in your work, in everything that you do. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be yours as well when two people both do that it's a powerful force for good nothing will arise in your marriage or in your life that you cannot handle god first your husband or your wife second and yourself third you can start living that new life today you can make that change today it has to be your decision you're the only one that can do it but you can and you can do it now while we stand together and sing.